0: I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes.
1: And we're both nerds.
0: Growing up, Shiro was one of my favorite shows.
1: I've never seen it before.
0: Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels.
1: Even though it's definitely a product of its time... We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message.
0: And the ways in which it fails.
1: Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story.
0: Always with an eye on how it relates to the present.
1: We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix.
0: But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to.
1: We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing.
0: So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of of power. Power. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of She Ra, Progressive of Power. One of, I think, only three left, maybe. Uh, I am Eric.
1: I'm Lauren.
0: Yeah, and we are, we're rounding the corner. Uh, actually, should we talk about our, our party?
1: Sure, let's do that. I'm very excited.
0: I think by the time this comes out, it will be like the next Wednesday. So it's worth mentioning. So we're going to do a either season or series finale party where we have a, across from the studio where we record, there's a theater. And we're going to take the theater and show the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special. And then we're going to talk about it live.
1: Yes. And there will be snacks. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm excited and I'm nervous because we are honest when we say it might be the season finale. It might be just the series finale. We haven't really decided.
0: Yeah. We're going to... Take the time off to do some marketing and some uh, soul searching and like honest assessments of where our lives are at (laughs) because we both have a lot going on.
1: How much room is there for He-Man in this room a few weeks from now? Also,
0: I do want to say like, boy, the Christmas special is really bad. Like be prepared. (laughs)
1: Uh, sh- I should not watch it before then, right? I'm sh- I'm supposed to be surprised. Yeah,
0: be surprised. Okay, heavens. But it would if you are an a, a avid listener of the show and you're like, oh, that sounds fun. I'd like to join, and you're in or around Chicago or could get here um, next Wednesday. Hey, let us know on Facebook or through email, and uh, you are welcome to come. It's a private event but if we like you or if you listen you can come just message us
1: (laughs) if you listen to our show we like you let's not be (laughs) unclear about that that's right thank you for listening please Oh, God, please stay.
0: Someone left us a very nice review on Facebook the other day. I think someone who doesn't live in the U.S. It's interesting to me that we have some international listeners.
1: Yes. Well, Puerto Rico is technically the U.S., Eric.
0: <laughs> I don't think it w- was. Is that your friend? who? <laughs> yeah, left that's
1: it? Emilio.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's true. Puerto Rico is the U.S., <laughs> which is uh, important. I didn't realize that was your friend. I thought it was somebody else. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, we have at least one quasi-international listener.
1: American listener
0: well there's something about uh representation there right that that's a whole other topic
1: yeah well I know uh, my friend Emilio is not psyched about how President Trump has dealt with uh Puerto Rico's hurricane relief situation and uh a few weeks back when he told me he was listening I was so touched because at the time he didn't have uh reliable internet access, let alone reliable electricity. And he still found a way to give my project a listen. And that just means so much to me. That's
0: very sweet. I wish that um, She-Ra did an episode about uh, representation in democratic governing bodies so we could really dive into this issue. But That probably was on the shelf for season three and never got made, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) It was the late 80s. It was a different time.
0: But let's talk about this episode. So this is part of our tour of kind of going back in time a little bit and looking at shows that we missed in the first go around because we either have good guests or good topics or both. And today we have both. So we're talking about an episode called The Unicorn King. And we're talking about uh, animal rights in conjunction with this, which makes sense because this is finally... And Lauren, you were probably excited for this. Finally, we're going to get into Swiftwind a little bit.
1: Yes, Swiftwind has been a huge point of fascination for me, <laughs> mostly because of his voice.
0: <laughs> and this is just the smallest bit of world building around him, but it's it's enough to at least give you something. So the episode opens: Hordak and Mantena are on Hordak's fancy new uh, ship, not a spaceship, but like an ocean ship, like he's sailing around with Mantena. Uh, It doesn't look like him either, which is strange. There's no Hordak face on the ship. So he really was, like, going super uh, classy with this one. Like, not ostentatious at all. He's clearly very proud of this ship. And they're looking for something to do, something evil to do. And Mantena spots this island, and he sees a unicorn flying above it. And Hordak says, whoa, that's Unicorn Island? I thought that was just a myth. Like everything in Etheria, it's only a myth until the Horde finds it. So they go... ...to this island and try to capture all the unicorns that are there. But unfortunately for the Horde, uh, at the beginning of the episode... ...Adora and uh, Spirit turn into She-Ra and Swiftwind just to go joyriding. And Swiftwind starts to feel this pain. uh, And Light Hope of the Crystal Castle says it's because his unicorn friends are in pain. And so they go to this island. They save the unicorns from the Horde, round one. And then She-Ra has this encounter with the titular unicorn king... And the king says to Swiftwin, why did you bring this woman here and why are you her slave? And Swiftwin's like, wait, what? And according to the unicorn king, it's it's slavery for humans to ride on unicorns because humans only abuse unicorns. And then we learn this very sad story about a unicorn named Brightwing who was captured by a magician and was treated so poorly that his wings withered and became useless. Well, Shira kind of has a quasi rock people conflict with the uh discussion with the unicorns about you know this is your home I know that you don't like to fight but you shouldn't give it up so easily but the unicorns don't want to fight they're gonna run so Shira's like all right before I go let me do one nice thing for you and let me fix bright wings uh wing so she does using her healing power bright wing can fly the unicorn king is like wait why did you do that think like assuming she wants something in return but Shira seems to not want anything except for she says their trust, and so they trust her enough to kind of put up a defense against the Horde. The Unicorn King ends up letting She Ra ride her because there's like some force field projector in the sky they have to bring down. Uh, they end up defeating the Horde. Hordak and Mantena do some like Marx Brothers routine out in the ocean involving trapdoors, which was very funny. And the episode ends with uh, the unicorns learning maybe a lesson. Well, I don't know who learns a lesson actually, that's up for debate. But there's a mutual trust established between unicorns and at least She-Ra, if not all humans.
1: So today we have with us a very special guest, a dear friend of mine, uh, Jonathan. John Meisenbach has a great amount of knowledge regarding animals and animal rights, conservation, protection. He is a zoo professional He's also worked at a certain major theme park with an animal section and maybe some people dressed as animals also, Uh, and has even spent some time in Africa with animals. Jonathan, hello.
2: Hello. How's it going?
1: We are well. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, On a personal note, John is also known in my family as quote, the reverend, because he uh, was the quote-unquote minister at my non-religious wedding.
0: Whoa, that's cool. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, We uh, worked together at a museum long ago and far away. And now he's a, a dear friend, and I think what the coolest part about him is his animal knowledge.
0: That's awesome. Welcome, John. Thank you for coming. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, I tend to ask, what is? Did you have any familiarity with Shira going in?
2: So, like, I mean, I'm I'm 35. I'm a child of the 80s, and I I watched He Man pretty religiously, and then Shira came on a little bit later, and I watched her, and I like I enjoyed it, and. The thing the thing is that like what's kind of and this is I don't I don't know what this says about me or about things in general, but like I remember the lore of, of He-Man and Skeletor and all of those guys. And like I remember very small bits of She-Ra, but it's not it's not like clear in my brain. But like it was it was nice to like revisit that.
0: That's interesting. I, I think there's probably a way in which She-Ra is a little less iconic and more specific, uh, which I think works to the show's dramatic advantage but maybe not to the memory advantage of children everywhere who just want to see He-Man and Skeletor.
1: No, it's true. Um, At our holiday party, one of the activities we have planned is to turn on some just YouTube classics, some comedy videos, and almost all of them are about He-Man and not She-Ra. That's just what our culture has latched onto.
0: And in both He-Man reboots, there's been no Shira. The Horde was teased in one of them, but um, never came to fruition. So that's sad. But we should probably talk about unicorns and animals. So like I said, finally, Swiftwind's heritage as a unicorn is explored, kind of, because there's like this psychic connection. So how did you feel about like finally digging into the unicorn side of Swiftwind?
1: So... Confused is a good word, uh, because these other unicorns don't seem to transform from anything into anything. And so I was a little unclear on Swiftwind's role in terms of maybe what his genetics are, uh, what his origin was. We didn't get into that at all. Uh, Also, though, I loved what you said during your summary about how things are a myth until the Horde discovers them, because I got the distinct impression that She Ra and Swiftwind, and maybe some other people, definitely knew about this island. Namely, because they see the king and they know it's the king. They, they, just, they just know this is a monarchy and that's the guy, like that's right true. away. That's
0: true. Swiftwind <laughs> bows down, and so does She Ra, in fact, yeah. my liege.
1: She's like, Your Highness. And it's not a surprise, it's, it's like she knew it all along.
0: So I was going to save this for later in the episode, but I'll tell you now. um, So the series finale, which is not on Netflix, is called Swifty's Baby, and they go back to Unicorn Island, and they dive even a little more into the horse-unicorn distinction. So to be a unicorn, you have to be born on Unicorn Island. Uh, And the premise of that episode is Swiftwind has a girlfriend that we've never seen. She's pregnant. She's going to give birth. And Hordak's like, ooh, I want that baby unicorn. So he steals Swiftwind's lady. And she ends up giving birth in Beast on Beast Island. And so the baby is born a horse, not a unicorn. And Swiftwind's like, well, we'll love the baby either way. But then She-Ra uses the power of Greyskull to turn the horse into a unicorn. And that's how the series ends uh Man, d-
1: spoiler alert <laughs> yeah sorry. sorry so
2: are our horses viewed as like lesser beings then
1: yeah to say we'll love the baby anyway it makes it sound like our our sucky deficient baby <laughs>
0: yeah actually that is wow that's that's kind of a bummer but also this is like the final episode like the only time the show ever really changes the status quo it's like well now it's over so i don't know how much of that we want to consider but i think it is interesting that uh in theory like if this place makes horses i don't know more special isn't unicorn i'm not super hip to the lingo of today but isn't that something like kids say about dating like oh i'm a unicorn like you'll never find another one like me
2: I, yeah i think so yeah. i think that's i think that's that's kind of what's what's popular to say but like i yeah i don't i don't know where that originates from
1: Before we get too deep into the politics of this episode, because I want to leave that mostly to John, I just want to say this is maybe the funniest episode we've come across. Uh, The whole opening sequence where Mantena is called Floppy Eyes and the boat is called Sea Fright and Hordak goes... I didn't just want to go fun sailing with you. It was just adorable. Those two are darling. I was so delighted.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I totally agree. I think the, so there's this succession of trapdoor gags in the episode and we, that's been in the whole series. We've talked about poor Mantena and the trapdoor, but it starts where there's a trapdoor and instar- installed on Hordak's submarine. And he says, Oh, it has all the comforts of home. And then in the final scene of the episode, uh Hordak and Mantenna are stranded on a raft in the ocean and Shera flies overhead on Swiftwind and says, Goodbye. And <laughs> and Hordak's so pissed at Mantenna, he has a trapdoor in the raft. But of course, a trapdoor in a raft would then cause the raft to sink. And it does. And I'm really glad that the show caught that detail and had fun with it
1: yes this it, it was hard in fact to take this episode seriously for me because it was funny almost the entire time
0: i'm gonna blow your mind a little bit though the because this i watched it twice and the second time i watched it i started to think boy is there a way in which Mantena's relationship to hordak is this kind of abuse that the unicorns fear from humans
1: oh for sure uh, Mantena in this episode definitely struck me as maybe a nice guy who just got in with the wrong relationship partner because, uh, at one point She-Ra catches up to him and and he's like, "I'm sorry, man, uh, Hordak yeah, made me do made it." He made me do it, yeah. And normally, when we see the Horde generals, they're enthusiastically evil; they're glad to be evil. And he doesn't actually seem to want to be.
2: Didn't he say something along the lines that, like, I'm I'm afraid of what Hordak will do to me? or Oh something? yeah, for sure. A
1: yeah. couple of times
0: he feels like he's yeah, like it, it's an abusive relationship, and that that was really sad. But it also was funny, like. The, those scenes with them together were very funny.
1: Uh, to your point, though, it, it does almost give real credibility to the fear that the unicorns have. I feel like She-Ra was trying so hard to say it's okay to trust. But She-Ra seems to be the exception, <laughs> really. Because if the people the unicorns met before were hurtful... And Hordak wanted to enslave the entire island. There's not that many people on Team Unicorn really out there who are going to find this island.
0: And, like, I know that not only are they fictional characters, but a fictional animal. Like, there's no real such thing as a unicorn. But it was... Hard, I thought, to watch the scenes of the Horde brutalizing them, like capturing them with their robots or just like Brightwing and his withered wings. That was so sad. Yeah,
1: they were they're animated very realistically. Yeah, I guess that takes us to kind of the, the meat of the discussion. Right. So I wrote kind of a bunch of questions about sort of the crux of this episode, which is why don't the unicorns trust people? What do the unicorns think of the relationship between unicorns and people or just animals and people? And is it valid? Is it, is it grounded in, in reality? Do they have a point? Uh, and so I guess I want to start the discussion about the slavery comet in this universe. Is it okay to, you know, essentially ride and keep as pets or keep as like a worker creature these clearly very intelligent animals?
0: there at least has to be consent right like swiftwind consents to be ridden and in the end so does the king
1: yeah swiftwind and shira call each other friend and i think that's very important how does that happen in our current society though in real life we have dogs we have pets they can't speak to us and say i consent to what you're doing to me i i buy into this relationship i'm sad Every time I bring Nessa to the vet, Nessa's my dog, because she hates the vet. She's terrified of it. And I can't just tell her, uh, This is, we're helping you. We're here to help you and make you better. This is a scary experience, but we're here with you. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. You can't reason with an animal on our world the way someone could just look at Swift Wind and say, This is what we're up to.
0: And that's something I thought about, which I'm sure John can speak to, is that. Really, Shira, trying to reason with the Unicorn King is a fantasy version of if you like we both have pets, Lauren, that were either mistreated or were strays and like more so than even other pets, you have to teach them to trust you. And that's hard. And it, yeah, you can't just talk to them. And I think like my dog will always have some kind of anxiety, even though I treat her very well. So, yeah, in that way, this episode spoke to me. How do you feel about it?
2: I I think like with when when you talk about like building trust and that's something like with animals that takes a long time. I mean, it can take years and years and years. And specifically, like if you're talking about like Shira healing, um, what, what was the bright wing? Bright yeah. With her healing bright wing, you know, I I think about the real world analog in terms of like if we have an animal, you know, at, at, at a zoo or an institution like that that needs to go to a veterinarian or needs a checkup something like that what what we do is something called behavioral husbandry and so we are going to kind of work with them and you know build that trusting relationship use positive reinforcement usually uh that's that's something in the term in terms of like food or a reward, something like that. And we're going to get them used to things like, yeah, like a a doctor might be doing an ultrasound on, on a bear, or they might be, you know, doing a blood draw from an elephant, for instance. And so getting them used to presenting different parts of the body and getting them used to, you know, being kind of looked over by a vet, it's going to reduce their anxiety, going to build some more trust. So going to the vet isn't going to be something so stressful.
1: Uh, In your experience, and maybe this actually varies animal to animal, do you think these creatures that you work with build trust with just people in general or with individuals?
2: Uh, I would say it definitely depends on, on the species. Some species can identify individual people. And so they're able to be like, oh, I have a special relationship with this one person, and they will they will work with them, and you know they'll be able to more easily you know do an exam or do a, a different behavior that they're they're kind of looking for. But if they have an, another individual that they don't really have such a great relationship with, then yeah, they they might not choose to participate in something like that. Um, other species, they might not be able to really identify specific human individuals so you know it's d- just kind of getting them accustomed to people in general is kind of what they're looking for.
0: So did to, to bring it back to two-dimensional a little bit did uh she conflict with the Unicorn King kind of resonate with you in, in any way as far as that building trust goes?
2: Oh yeah I I, I think so I mean I I they clearly had bad experiences in the past. And it, it seems like in, in that universe that the, the bad certainly outweighed the good. So for for ra to just show up and be like, hey, let me help you. Yeah, I, I would definitely be a little kind of raise a few questions for me as well as like, do I, do I really want to trust you? I don't know.
1: So uh, one of the things that I was really excited to talk to John about is the wider uh, ethics behind just the role of humans in the animal kingdom. So I think we could agree that if Hordak had never found this island, that would have been the best possible scenario for the unicorns. They could have just continued on their lives. They would have been undisturbed. And there wouldn't have been an episode, there wouldn't have been a story, but in terms of just keeping their environment and their livelihood constant, if this never happened, that would be aces for the unicorns, right? But they were discovered, they did become in danger, and She-Ra's intervention was necessary to pull that danger back and to help the unicorns. So what I'm thinking about these days is, frankly, zoos, right? Right? Um, animals are at their best in the wild, but zoos play a role in terms of rescuing animals who maybe couldn't have survived in the wild, educating new generations about animals that they otherwise would not have known about or gotten exposed to. But then it kind of loops around, right? Where does a big game hunter learn about animals but at you know a zoo in their childhood? I don't know. I have very complicated feelings about. Uh, just sort of human intervention and animal captivity in our society. So, John, could you just like hit that for a while? Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Riff on it.
1: Yeah. Just Just go.
2: No, absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 certainly a, a thing that comes up frequently. And you know, zoos they they want to know what people are thinking. And you know, we we interview a lot of people that come to zoos and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? Like, what is your opinion on zoos? What is your opinion on, you know, the exhibits and the habitats that you see? And we're finding that, yeah, a lot of people are like you, that they, you know, they, they, they can see that there's, there's good intent and there's good things that are happening here, but then they also, yeah, they have these conflicted feelings. And I I think those are really important to acknowledge and to address, um, simply because it's it's going to continue to make zoos better. And the one thing that I will say, like zoos are, are certainly, they're in the business to someday be completely out of business. Um, a lot of the things that you had mentioned, you know, education, getting people that wouldn't necessarily see these animals in kind of their, their day-to-day life, getting them to see those things, that's super important. Uh, and then also, Making sure that we're, we're you know conserving the, the wild species that are very highly endangered. Acting as kind of like an arc, you might say if you want to get biblical. but um, also too just doing research and figuring out how we can help out the animals that are still in the wild more so um, just by by having the animals here at, in zoos.
1: Very cool. So how would your personal experience? Uh, differ between when you are working at an institution versus the work I know that you've done internationally.
2: I mean, I, I I would agree with you that like you know when I go overseas or like when I was in Africa, like that's the ideal, like that's what we we want to 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 have. But I definitely believe strongly in what what zoos are doing, and you know I I know that everyone that also works there also feels very strongly and. Again, it's something that's constantly that we're putting animal care, animal welfare at the forefront in terms of what our priorities are and making sure that we're giving the best possible life and experience for, for those animals that we have in zoos.
0: And I think that's interesting because, you know, Lauren said that the unicorns would be better off. If none of the inciting incidents of the story had ever happened, and I think that's pretty uniformly true, except for maybe Brightwing, right? Like Brightwing can fly because of one good human. So I don't know if, like, on the whole, the unicorns are better, but he or she definitely is. So maybe Shira represents the the good conservationists and the, the noble zookeepers, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I feel like you can you can certainly make that argument. I feel you know that's that's the hope that's the intent of zoos is to to leave the world a, a little bit better place for 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 humans for animals for e- ecosystems and you know i think just with the field work that a lot of institutions are doing that yeah they they they're having a lot of success with that but it's 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 a constant battle
1: yeah it almost reminded me of like a you you see footage of people cleaning up animals after oil spills. And, you know, an oil spill is a horrendous man-made mistake. And then it's up to sort of man to clean up after that error. And and the animals in that situation who are sort of innocent, uh, collateral damage in the same way that this unicorn was, you know, humans are the cause and humans are the solution. There's something hopeful about that and there's something dark about it too
0: so fun fact elsewhere in the shira mythos there's a worse episode called zoo story which shows kind of the other side of this coin where the horde operates a zoo and the point of their zoo is just to take everything that looks weird and put it in a cage so people can gawk at it so that's not clearly what you're doing john nor what you're espousing or what we should be doing but there is a danger
1: there have been zoos in history that were that though too. Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, even if you look at the history of zoos in general, like basically it was kind of a showcase of wealth, and really only since you know the twentieth century has it been more of like a education and kind of a field work and research uh, station as well. So, so yeah, no, I, I, I can certainly acknowledge that
0: for sure. I think it, the point you said is interesting that the end goal of zoos is to make zoos obsolete. Uh, I think, you know, we kind of talked about that a little bit with uh, Adam regarding medicine, too. And I think that's also true in in prison systems, or it should be true, that, like, prisons should exist so that we don't need prisons.
1: That's Yeah, that's not where we're at, of course, but gosh, that's the dream.
0: Industries like that are so fascinating. Like, how do you ethically work in an industry where you need money, but you also need to be working towards a future where your industry is not uh relevant anymore
1: well it's crazy because you want to think we all agree on some of these things you want to think that the prison system is for rehabilitation but not everyone thinks that and you want to think that animals are these sacred and important beings that deserve freedom and deserve agency but not everyone sees it that way uh when I had the idea to do this episode, I actually didn't imagine that we would have a modern talking point. Turns out we do because, uh, Donald Trump flirted with the idea of allowing elephant trophies to be brought back into the United States. I think he backed off of it because there was such outrage.
0: Bipartisan for once.
1: Yes. For once. But you know, there's these caricatures, Still, in our society, is it Jimmy John of jimmy yes. John's sandwiches who is just this horrific like exotic animal killer? We still have to have these conversations because clearly, as a society, we don't all agree
2: certainly not, and you know i i've I've certainly you know had had those discussions in terms of like even even people who are are vegetarian and you know they are Concerned about you know eating chicken or beef or domestic raised species and you know they they certainly have a point so in many in many cases like people kind of have to figure out you know what is what is their line that they want to draw in the sand for themselves.
1: Thank you for bringing up vegetarianism because that was something I wrote down as a new question raised for me in the Shira universe because of this episode. Uh, it occurs to me watching this episode that animals they're they're individuals with intellect and intent in in the she universe they literally talk so is bo and uh, is bo eating some chicken at the base or do we not do that
0: well at least these animals do but if you'll think back to the pilot which is an episode that probably when i was 12 years old i watched a hundred times when prince adam brings cringer to the bar and Cringer orders a fish, and then the bartender goes, oh, you're animal, he speaks. And Adam goes, well, doesn't everybody? Uh, I think we're meant to believe that most, like, it's still rare for animals to possess sentience on Etheria. Um, not that that necessarily excuses eating them. I also would guess that the rebels are kind of like the farm-to-table food aesthetic because they don't really have processing plants. Um, so that's maybe more sustainable. But I'll tell you, you bring up vegetarianism. I went camping at Yellowstone this summer, and uh, there were a couple times driving along in my friend's car where we would just be like right alongside a a buffalo on the road like he was just chilling walking along the path not bothering anybody and I was like wow that's one of the coolest looking animals I've ever seen and then I had to square that with the fact that I really like eating bison burgers and I found that really hard to do Um, so I, I tried and have barely succeeded at like taking meat a little bit more out of my diet and yeah I guess that is something everybody has to deal with on their own right it's like a personal
1: well right and this is a wider discussion perhaps for another time but you're not just looking animal rights in the face when talking about eating animals You're talking about just the massive amount of of pollution and Mm -hmm. environmental destruction that is done by factory farming.
0: And even economic justice to a degree is tied up in that.
1: Right. Yeah. And so I don't think there's any true solution uh, because there's stuff wrong with the economics of soybeans and a great and many other alternatives, too. but. It's, it's it's a part of the conversation when you're talking about making those choices for yourself.
0: And it's it's that kind of thing, too. I think I read something like, you know, if you want to lessen your carbon footprint, your vote matters more than buying an electric car or something like that. Because, like, the impact one person can have is so minimal. But it you still have to live with yourself at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I heard the biggest difference you could make on a carbon footprint is not having a child. Just, like, don't bring more life onto the planet.
0: I nailed it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Me too. This whole room is nailing it. Yes. Good, Hell yes. good job, Success. podcast team.
0: Welcome to the Laughing Swan, stranger.
1: How may we serve you today?
0: Uh, how about a little child?
1: Uh, your, uh, your animal, he, uh, he speaks.
2: Well, doesn't everybody? Now, about that food. M- m- make mine fish and plenty of it. Oh, fish, oh, fish it is.
0: Moral time? Yes. This moral sucked.
1: Uh, I'm good. Before we get there, I'm gonna say I didn't find Looky this episode, and he knew it. at the end of the At the end of his spiel, he was like, "Hope you find me next time," and I was like, oh, "Shut up."
0: Uh, he was right at the beginning.
1: Dang it. <laughs>
2: I saw him and I, like I was like what what the hell is that guy doing there because like I mean yeah I haven't seen the show and found how...
1: him and wasn't even looking yeah. I was like yeah what what is was looking. what is that
2: and then he like never really showed up until the end and I was like oh okay this is this was like the, the little
0: gimmick at the
1: end Gosh dang yeah. I really blew it
0: That's all right So did Looky. He says. Today's story was about cooperation. That means helping each other get something done, like when you help do things around the house. Many jobs can be made easier when we work together, when we cooperate with one another. Bye now. Hope you find me next time, Lauren.
1: (laughs) Burn. I need some ice for that burn.
0: I don't think this story was at all about cooperation. No, No. super
1: wasn't. I mean, even in the most literal sense, you could interpret that like. Once she was riding a unicorn, they were working together, but that's not really what cooperation is.
0: Mm-mm. No, it was completely about trust, and what bums me out is that sometimes the episode will take kind of a parallel moral when the main moral is so clearly stated, but I think the trust plotline is already kind of understated in this episode. I think he could have brought it home.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of an adult concept, really. Um... That was one of the things I was thinking while watching this one. I always try to go back into child Lauren mind and think, you know, what would I be getting out of this if I were a kid? And this is maybe the visually the most girly episode we've seen. I mean, it's literally like beautiful unicorns with pink wings. And I would have just been enthralled with that. I would be like, (laughs) beautiful. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) No, and I don't think I would have gotten the trust message out of it at all. I really could have used Lookie's help on this one, and he biffs it.
0: Yeah, especially with, I think, that Hordak Mantena even more underlying, like, how people can mistreat even other people.
1: Yeah, we have such great parallel examples of how to treat and value your friends and how not to. Uh, I think you you always ask what I would make the moral, Um, and for me the moral would be, Trust people if they, hmm, no, it's like trust people unless they give you a reason not to. You know, as an adult, I really try to navigate my life not being quickly judgmental of people and not being immediately cynical toward people because it's so easy to do. And just the reminder that anytime you meet someone, giving them the benefit of the doubt and giving them trust and reaching out to them as a friend as long as they've been kind i mean if people don't give you a reason to mistrust them then then don't just be good to people there's so much there
0: and i want to extend that to to animals too like i i think the hordak mantena parallel is important also because you know it's not like bringing mantena down to the level of an animal it's bringing animals up to the level of people like we should treat animals with respect and and work for their trust and hope that they give it in return. I think just like we would a, an actual friend, like my dog is my best friend, so I feel. I think yeah, I think I
2: would agree that like trust would be a, a great thing to lean on and hell, go ahead and do some trust falls. But no, I feel <laughs> like, I feel like, you know, I think that's that's something that, you know, Shera clearly wanted to to help and she needed them to trust her before they could they could you know, defeat Hordak and and his his goons, but yeah, I I think I would agree that trust is trust is certainly important. Yeah. but that's a that's a heavy thing for a kid.
1: Right, we've we've done a lot of of moral. I I could even go one more though. Swiftwind literally has a voice, and the animals in our life don't. And we touched on that very early in this episode, and I think that literal reminder of your dog or your fish or whatever you have can't advocate for itself so what you said eric about your your animals your best friend treat it with uh, respect and trust and friendship it's really because it it literally can't speak for itself Uh, i know that i wasn't as gentle or as cool with animals when i was a kid that would be a nice reminder too
0: Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower@gmail.com at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. It should be pretty obvious from this episode that Lauren and I both love dogs. One of my favorite local nonprofits is the dog-based Sit, Stay, Read, Which engages children with literacy by bringing dogs into the classroom. Amazing, right? Basically, volunteers help kids read to dogs. Uh, The kids get reading, the dogs feel loved, and they both make a friend. It's wonderful all around. Visit sitstayread.org for more info on their work and how you can help.